0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of A Little Bit Famous with Ted Murata. Uh, First, I'd like to welcome new listeners from Bangladesh, from Egypt, from Venezuela, from Iran. Um, It's really exciting and kind of humbling to have people tuning in from all around the world. So thank you for listening to the show. Uh, My guest this week is Lorianne Davis. She is an actor. She's an author. She's an acting teacher, uh, has been on stage and screen. And uh, this is a great opportunity for me to have conversation with someone who is uh, a real pro and and knows a great deal about acting and how to transmit uh, that information to students. And uh, also for me to indulge in my curiosity about something I love so much, which is movies and great television. So without further ado, here it is, episode 37, with my guest, Lorianne Davis. My guest today is Lori Ann Davis. She's an actor and acting coach, and she's the owner of Three Stage Studios in Bethpage, New York. Welcome to the show. It's really nice to get to talk to you again.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited and I appreciate it, too.
0: Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. I'll just say at the start that we were, you and I were introduced by way of Mig Ayessa, who is a charming and awesome guy and an actor and a singer and uh, just a real entertainer. And uh, for people listening, if you haven't listened to the Mig Ayesa episode, you should go back into the files and, um, and listen to it because it's really delightful. I-, I don't know if you know this, but Mig sang for me at the end of our episode and it was uh-huh. it was so sweet.
1: Oh, that's what yeah. I, really he sang for you. I really have to have to talk with him because he's never sang for me. I have to see if Oh <laughs>
0: wow, well, I feel very special then. Yeah, he did it. He did an impromptu version of We Are the Champions and changed changed the lyrics to make lucky. me feel very good about myself.
1: <laughs> oh, lucky Ducky. That's good. Meg is the best. He really is. And yeah. I definitely am a huge fan. Then I'll admit I did stalk him a little bit. And uh <laughs> I let him know that I was stalking him. So yeah, he's he's like the multi-talented entertainer, not just a Broadway star and a rock star. I think like I just saw him in a video. He plays the drums. I'm like, what is happening? What? I didn't even know. Yes.
0: He didn't tell me that. Yes. Oh my and
1: I, I, I was like, he posted a video on a, about a friend and I'm like, is that him playing the drums? I was like zooming in. <laughs> so I didn't ask him yet, but I think he can play just about anything. I could be wrong, but I always thought just keyboards. I, believe, then, it. He, he I believe it. He can dance. Yeah, he's like, you 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 love him, so you can't even be jealous. And he's like uh, perfectly physically fit.
0: He's a he, specimen, isn't he?
1: Yeah, there's no, <laughs> no flaws, no flaws. Yeah. I think it's kind of like, but no flaws.
0: Yeah, uh, well, yeah. anyway, he, he raved about you. Uh, c- couldn't say enough nice things about you. And, uh, you know, so just adores you, clearly. And um, the reason why you and I were introduced was because my elder daughter has been always been very interesting, interested in performance and acting and singing. And she's been in uh, a bunch of shows, either in school or at our local in my town. We have this beautiful little opera house called Hubbard Hall, and she does performances there, too. And she was like, oh, dad, you know, people. (laughs) <laughs> don't you <laughs> and I was like well yeah over the years I've gotten to know a lot of people and she's like what about like people who do casting and stuff like that and I was like I, you know I don't really know that because music has been my world um so I I put out some feelers and and Mig was like oh my god you have to talk to Laurie Davis she's amazing and so we had a conversation at you and I and and you helped me and my daughter quite a bit by kind of giving us some some leads to, to at least to begin with in terms of casting um, websites with casting calls that were legit and not scams. And 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 that's been great. And oh, I wanted to tell you, I, I don't know if I did, but but my daughter did get called, did, did get an email about a, a role in a short film. And she submitted an, an acting audition and it was really, really fun to do. I'm sure the first of many, but yeah, they center the sides. And uh, my youngest daughter read, read the role of the angry mom uh, for my angsty teenage daughter. And it was it was just a blast <laughs> to do.
1: Oh, that's so much fun. That's exciting. I mean, because that's quick to get something, you know, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, that was, I mean, that's also a skill.
1: She'll get used to it. The more you do it, the better you get at it.
0: For sure. Absolutely. And I want to talk to you all about that, all about acting and, and, um, and performance and, and, and every bit of it. Um, I don't want to, I was thinking I'd wait until the end, but why not start with this? Cause you're sipping a cup of tea as we were talking about in pre-roll and on the mug, it says the most important thing in acting. And I'm wondering if the answer is on the back Yes. okay time for the big reveal what does it say
1: you'll see my lipstick too but. is
0: listening
1: mm-hmm.
0: interesting can you talk about passion. that
1: yes it's interesting well my acting teacher who passed away a couple of years ago um Jim James Bonnie who was amazing um he would say it over and over again so it really stuck with me throughout the years with all I've studied with countless acting teachers I've definitely lost count and when I started to teach, it really became more apparent how important listening is. Even though I had done years and years of what's called the Meisner technique, I was addicted to it. Um, that was developed by Sanford Meisner, which is kind of like not going to go into all like the history of acting, but the offshoot of uh, Stanislavski. And I studied can method you, as well.
0: Can you quickly? Can you just explain what the the Meisner technique is? Technique.
1: It's it's kind of hard to explain, like without going into too much detail, but um, there's method where, and I don't want any method actors to get mad at me, but where to me, it's more like, uh, I don't wanna use the word harmful, but it's like kind of like my dog died, my dog died behind the curtain where you're kind of mustering up this emotion. And again, I'm sure people will go at me for this. It doesn't last long where Meisner is being in the moment, working off the other person, really really listening not pretending to listen but really listening to someone and i mean you're you're doing like these the podcasts so you are listening to people to me as a teacher like with little ones get on your knees like you know get down to their level mm-hmm. look them in the eye and really listen and what Sanford miser taught us what is so important besides listening is repeating just like you do you learn in therapy mm-hmm. you know nice. instead of going i didn't do that or it's not my fault. repeat what the person said and really like digest that. So if that explains anything, it's kind of like two different techniques is one's being in the moment and one's really, really listening to, to the other person, repeating what you hear and observing, like using your observation skills. Everything that you have as a human being, not pretending, not faking, Um, just being, really just being there with the other person. And for me, what I did, and hopefully Sanford Meisner won't roll over in his grave at this point, but I changed it a lot. But it's very hard to get people to commit to the two years it would take to really digest the Meisner technique because there's a lot more involved. There's body work, there's emotional work and all kinds of stuff. Um, And really the best way to learn is probably nine to five, five days a week. Uh, Not a lot of people have the money to do that or the time. to actually, you know, dedicate themselves to. So I've kind of condensed it, um, using emotional work and body work and teaching my students quicker because they might only come to me for eight weeks or 12 weeks. And I always say, I want them to walk out of my studio with three things in their pocket. And then I've done my job, which I don't even like to even call it that because I like to call myself a guide instead of a teacher, because If you come to me or your daughter comes to me, you can have different set of skills. You might not be very good at listening or I might have a child that's autistic or has ADHD or was never taught how to listen um, or maybe is fidgety and can't sit still. I have adults like that as well. So I take Miser to another level where we're listening to each other. We're doing something called repetition. We're repeating what we hear. But again, some people have to do with more body movement, not sitting in a chair. As my acting teacher used to always say, you sit on your butt, you sit on your feelings. So my students know that you're gonna hear me say a lot, what's the most important thing in acting? Everyone yells, listening. Because I was just thinking about this before, you're know, thinking, oh, like, what do I wanna talk about today? Um, you know, Is it just more spontaneous? Because there's so many things that you could say about acting, I can talk about it for days on end. But a lot of people ask me, can I be an actor? And I'm, that's not for me to answer. But I was thinking about it today as I get older and as I teach more and listen, I make mistakes too. Um, and my, I learn more from my students when I teach, um, than I do by myself thinking about it or writing about it is the one thing that you do need to be an actor. And I say this to my kids as well. You have to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to be emotional. You have to, I why I get choked up every time I say it, you have to be willing to be emotional and vulnerable. And that's scary. Yeah. Um, I think it was Rosalind Russell who said this and I want to misquote, but acting is like standing up in front of a bunch of people naked and spinning around slowly, turning slowly. That's mm. exactly what it is. But that's also the part we love. And, you know, probably as a musician that high, you know, but oh, you're yes. learning a song and you're like, you're playing the drums and you're like, maybe you missed a couple of beats and you're like, <gasps> you get like this total terror. We don't know that you missed it. Right. But yeah. you know, but oh, then and I they- do
0: think everybody else knows every time
1: (laughs) like, Oh, that drummer sinks. No, but, but it's also the high that you get like that pressure. You're like, Oh my God, I have to learn all these new songs and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it, but then you say yes. And maybe someone, you know, you're close to your spouse, whatever says, I can't believe you're doing this again, but you know, like, why are you torturing yourself? Because you love it because Mm -hmm. it's who you are. And it's ingrained in you. So I think there's a lot of actors out there that didn't get strong technique and didn't have good teachers because so many people think they can teach and that always, I take it really seriously. My acting teacher always say that everybody has masks, right? Just like when we first started to talk, I'm like, okay, acting teacher mode, I'm gonna be on a podcast and gotta say intelligent, smart things or whatever. Uh, Then I'm in my head, right? You're in your head, you're dead. That's another expression that my wonderful acting teacher gave me. You're in your head, you're dead. You sit on your butt, you sit on your feelings. The most important thing in acting is listening. Like I, had, I originally called my studio, my program, acting with the heart, and that's what it is. It is acting with the heart um, and teaching with the soul. It's it. You can't do it if you if you don't if you can't be emotional. It's how I feel. Not that you're crying all the time and being a victim, but that you're emotional. And I think technique also. Um, my son from another mother who's doing the, a program, an acting program in college. I, he's so locked into the technique right now, because that's I noticed college students because they're getting graded. They're yeah. getting graded. To me, that's where, like I would say, yeah, it's a great thing to go to college for acting, but when you get out, you're gonna probably have to study in New York or LA or wherever you are for at least the next year or two to get away from what you just learned. I'm not saying forget it, but it puts you in your head and I think that's why I'm so attracted to the drums because I think I'm a frustrated drummer because it, it's just, you get to pound it out and you're moving all your body parts. And I think it's the best instrument because you know, you're moving both your feet and you're using both your arms and, you know, and you've seen drummers who are just like you know going with the beat, but you, you know the ones that are like living through it and their passion. And anytime I went up to a drummer and asked them, most of the time they don't even read music. They're just learned by ear. And I find that so fascinating because I always ask music: How do you how did you learn? Did you read music? It's the same thing with acting. Too much. I was just going to say sorry. uh, Real quick, I
0: was going to say drumming is similar, and I think music, just playing music in general, is similar. But and you're right, there are some drummers who are kind of scientific and very very technique oriented, Um, and then there are drummers who are about feel and can just close their eyes and, and just sort of go into that wonderful zone. And um, I vacillate between those two. I, you know, I'm not always, I'm, I'm in my head sometimes, you know, and then sometimes I'm just like right in the center of my chest and feel very grounded and, and relaxed and comfortable. Um, but I have a million questions based on what you just said.
1: Um, can I ask you a question though? When you're yeah. in your heart, how do you feel your drumming is? Do you feel your drumming is better when you're here or here?
0: When when it's in my chest, you know, um, or in my soul, it's it's much it's much groovier. It's much more in the pocket, much more just you know just sort of glued together with the rest of the band. And I'm not really thinking about doing technique-y things. I'm just thinking about being the pulse of of the music. And then sometimes when I get in my head, it's because I want to execute something technical. Hmm. You know, I think you know it goes to my brain because I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something either that I haven't really done before or it's a very complicated uh, thing to do. And so I'm kind of entirely up here and I can almost feel my center of gravity lifting up off the drum throne. And I'm, I'm, I don't feel as relaxed uh, sometimes. And, and that's, you know, that's when that happens.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying about acting. Technique can get in the way. You know, it's like everybody, you, just like if you're learning a new move, right? Or, or a new song, it's like, you have to practice it over and over again so that you eventually feel comfortable. And then you can drop down to your heart because you know what you're going to be doing with that. Especially, right, we're working with a band and maybe, you know, you're being told they want this, this, and this. And now you have to kind of change it. So of course you're going to go up here first. But I think when you are really get the technique down you can drop down to your heart a little bit better. And sometimes the best way to go is with your heart. Doesn't mean yeah. it's gonna be right, but you, at least you had heart and you felt it. And I always say, to people, did you have a good time? You know, so I always say to my son, did you have fun? So like, oh, that song didn't come out. Well, did you have fun recording it? Yes, then that's the most important thing. If you were miserable, then that's a different thing. Um, and for me, it's like, even, even that misery or that pain or that depression or that anxiety can be fueled into the work like when i took i wish i could play an instrument well i so badly wanted to play the guitar and it's so interesting because i just took one of my son's guitars and i noticed the string broken and and i'm getting it restrung because i want to play again my guitar somebody it got stolen so i miss it so i was like whatever just pick any guitar and just start the reason why i didn't follow through was for some reason my guitar teacher thought i would make a great jazz guitarist not because i had skill because i was a girl and I was like, okay, found this exciting. But all we did was scales, you know, and exercises. And all I was is just teach me one song. That's all I wanted was teach me one song so I could play it. Yeah. And I could be like, look, I can play Lemon Tree, you know, and, and then feel good about myself. Then teach me technique. Then teach me another song. So they have three or four songs that I could play at holidays or for myself and sing with it, then just the technique. So I gave up.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I can just say real quick, like I don't give drum lessons, although I've been playing for 40 years at this point. Uh, And part of the reason why I don't, although I have been thinking about taking on a few students is because I can teach technique all day. I can teach them how to do sticking patterns and rudiments and things like that. But there are these more kind of abstract notions like being able to swing, you know, like being able to just really groove certain elements of playing that go way beyond technique. And I'm, I know the same goes for acting. And I, I, I'm, I'm wondering how do you teach those concepts? Like you can, you can sort of teach some people about blocking and other aspects of acting and stage performance and things like that. And other technical things to be, to be learning. So how do you bring out Emotion and laughter and 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 body language and and how to act with your eyes and and all sorts of things like that. How, how what kind of a process is that for you as someone who's guiding students?
1: It's so hard to explain because, like I said, sometimes I only have people for eight or six weeks, and I what I start with is just being with each other in the room where we just stand in a circle and look at each other, which is really hard for people to do um, and to breathe and how just show people or not show, I don't like that word either, but how to just get into your body. And it's very simple. It's standing with your legs shoulder width apart, like you would take yoga and bending your knees slightly, rolling up back your shoulders and just breathing and closing your eyes for a moment and then opening them and looking around the room. Not like this, cause I'll have students like look really quick, spend time with someone. Now you're looking at someone who's a stranger, maybe you don't know them, you didn't have a class with them before, just look at them, just start with silence and breathing and looking at each other. And then there's a point where for me, a lot of uh, miser based uh, actors would say, don't do this. This is what I learned from my acting teacher. I've had famous actress tell me (gasps) that's dangerous. I'm like, okay, why? Um, Is I start with emotional work where there's four, for me, there's four uh, emotional preps, happy, sad, mad, and scared, right? We like to up it and say happiness. Uh, pain and loss, which is a little more intense than sadness. So you want to go up here because you can always go down here. You could always lessen it, but it's very hard to bring it up. So even if it's over the top, the primal emotions and anger, right? Um, Instead of mad, mad, when you say I'm mad, I could be mad because I didn't get the cookie I wanted, you know, but I could be angry because you, you know, you betrayed me. So it's different. And then there's being scared, right? Scared, you can be scared because you saw a spider or scared because you have to go to the dentist, but then there's terror. Someone's chasing you. Someone's trying to break into your house. You're going for major surgery, you know? You can't breathe. So then it ups it, right? There's, there's different levels, but there are four perhaps. because people go, what about jealous? Well, when you're jealous, how do you feel when you're jealous, right? When I feel jealous, I feel sad. Some people feel mad, like, you know, Whatever I, I see an ex boyfriend with someone new, right, and I'm jealous. Some people get re- enraged and they want to take revenge. Me, I'm sad. You know, so everyone's different. Same with things with guilty. I say to my kids, "You're guilty. You you did something you weren't supposed to do. How do you feel when you feel guilty?" Right. So they fall somewhere under under that category. So that's where I, if that makes any sense, that's where I start. Yes. Getting into your body, breathing, and then we just I'll say another thing that I say is make a sound for how you feel. And a lot of times you have a group of maybe anywhere from six to 15 people, they go, oh, I'm like, what? <laughs> Ugh. I'm like, no, how do you make a sound for how you feel? So some people were like, ah, and they're just like, yes. Well, and then you, add, then you go around the circle and ask how everybody's day was, right? And some people, it just warrants a ah, but for the mo- most part, it's a ah, you know, or maybe you had a great day, you just got a job promotion. So make a sound for how you feel. woo um, One time, I remember we did it and we had I had a full class and I still haven't replaced it. I had a clock on my wall in my studio. And um, my landlord, who's next door, I told him not to bother me today, <laughs> but <laughs> he was like, you guys are so loud. I don't know if I should call the police. I don't know. Sometimes I'm thinking, God forbid someone's murdering her. Like, I wouldn't know because my people go, what are they doing over there? Oh, they're Bing. doing something called emo- <laughs> right, emotional yeah. work. And so what did he need me mad? He kept bringing it up. I'm like, you knew I was coming in here. I told you what I do. Don't squash me. It's another thing. Don't make me go down because I have to be and my students have to be in the beginning work very big and very large. So long story short, I said, let's take down this building because it's a brick building, a big old building, right? I said, let's shake it down. And they did. And the clock fell off the wall. Thank goodness between two of my students and smashed. Nobody got hurt. But I always, they, they looked at me and we all started laughing. I said, yes, this is where I needed you to be. And then they'll get confused. Sometimes and they'll scream through a monologue. And sometimes you have to, And then you find the place, you find where you have to go. It's the same thing with using the fourth wall. When you do a monologue, And my students say, well, who am I talking to? That's where your imagination comes in the beginning work. So we do, we go on journeys. We go on imagination journeys where we lay on the mat and we'll go through all of those emotions and go on different journeys. Cause my journey is gonna be different than yours. You might react to something like, oh Lori, calm down. That's not that bad, right? We're we're in different places and now we have to play husband and wife, which is great because now we have a conflict to work off of. But each person has their own journey. And in the beginning, like I see other students get jealous of a student who can be more emotional and cry easily or get angry easily. For me, I always say to my students, if you're if you to start with anger, because anger usually most people can get angry about something, right? And then you work your way from there because there's been times about you that I've yelled, like at my child, and and then felt sad because I had to get to that point, and you know that's not going to work. And then I would cry, right? Maybe not cry in front of him, but cry later, and then go and apologize. Sorry, mommy got so angry, right? Or do you ever cry? Do you ever laugh so hard that you cry, right? That
0: oh, expression, God. Yes, right? hysterical laughter,
1: and, right? And the tears, really, and there's been times where I've laughed so hard. Then I started to cry and then I really started to cry because it triggered something else, right? Same thing with being scared. You go in maybe to the doctor and you're supposed to, you know, and all of a sudden you're totally terrified and then the nurse makes you laugh. There's little waves. So we start the class standing and breathing. Sometimes we start on the ground breathing and getting into our bodies where you're feeling everything. And then you place those emotions because you might feel anger, like I said to my students, you might feel in your hands. Where do you feel it? Oh, oh. Some people clench their teeth, right? Some people, kids stomp their feet. Everybody is different, but remember, so when you do have to recall it, maybe all you have to do is go like, like pound your fist.
0: Take your fist, yeah.
1: Right, before you do a monologue, you know? Oh, like how could you leave me? How could you do this to me? Where other people feel sadness in their heart, right? Or in their stomach terror like right you get that anxiety feeling so we talk a lot about that and where that's going to go where i I know acting teachers are freaking out at me right now going you can't do that you have to do technique for a whole year then emotions i don't have that kind of time i don't know if someone's going to come back and i know i committed to teaching them for six weeks eight weeks 12 weeks and i tell them it takes 20 years sanford miser says to be an actor right but if you're willing and you're able to like i said to you in the beginning of the conversation to be emotionally available, even 10 or 15%, we have somewhere to jump off of. But if you're totally locked, it's gonna be harder. I'm still up for the challenge because I've seen it. I've had people with Asperger's, autism, severe anxiety, and maybe it's just to get them to look me in the eye. Maybe that's my goal for the eight weeks. I do help people release their emotions. I'm not a therapist either, but it's through the work. It's through the breathing. It's through the connecting with another person. Like before COVID, I would have my students hold hands with each other. We're just getting back into that where just two people held hands and looked at each other in silence and then repeated. Or if they're working on, I do something called dueling monologues, which I'm sure also would make some acting teachers mad. And I would even send you the tapes to show you how phenomenal this is. They're both talking about two different Situations, but they're working off of each other, and it's amazing to watch. And I've had some students go. There's too many people talking at the same time. I'm like, it's okay. You don't have to hear everything. Just hear what's important to you and what makes you feel something. Does that make yeah. sense? I know it I can sure add. does.
0: Yeah. And I just wanted to say real quick, you, you that what you were just describing about these people doing uh, dueling monologues, essentially with different. They're talking about totally different things. It makes me think. As a lover of film, personally, I love overlapping dialogue in movies and uh, Robert Altman did it brilliantly and uh, Steven Spielberg does it really well, too. That's how people
1: talk, right? Like I'm doing. Exactly. They talk over each other. It's just a natural thing like we're doing right now. Right.
0: Yeah. And then you'll have two people over your over the shoulder in the scene having a totally separate conversation. And it just feels so much more natural. Yeah. Have it that way. But I wanted to ask one more question about the listening thing. The most important thing in acting is listening. I think definitively you could say that about podcasting. And, and in many respects, it's top of the list for, for playing music as well. Um, but in my case, uh, I'm, I'm listening to you and to anybody I'm, I'm having a conversation with. But I also do not have a script of lines that I'm supposed to say after you speak. And in, in your case, you have parts you need to know. I mean, you, you want to be listening and you want to be reacting in a scene, but you also have to know your lines. And I'm wondering how, how, how that goes, um, how you're, you're both listening while also retaining what you need to say. Um, unless you're improving, which is a different no, story. No, well,
1: in, yeah, improv is a whole different thing. Improv to me is not my favorite, even though I I, ten, I do it, and you know it's an important part of like a lot of comedy work. But I feel like it puts you in your head because a lot of people with improv are topping each are topping each other and want to be interesting acting is a process. You do activities. You do something called, with Miser, the the knock on the door, different ways of entering the door. What happens when you get to the other side? Because there's an expression, you know, you go, you knock on the door. Maybe you're about to make a cake for your daughter's birthday. You were supposed to, right? And you forgot, right? And your wife calls you up, whatever, like, did you make the cake? Oh my God, I forgot. We only have less than three hours to get that cake done or two hours. So you got plenty of time, you preheat the oven, you got a cake mix, you're good to go. You get home and you realize you don't have any eggs. Your kids ate the last eggs and you don't have time to get to the store. So you go to your neighbors and you ask them, I say a cup of sugar and you go to the door. Okay, maybe not to get eggs, but to get a cup of sugar and you knock on the door. And when you open the door, your neighbor is hysterical crying or, or maybe bleeding. You're gonna go. Oh my God! Are you okay? Is it a- no? I just I. I just cut myself with a kitchen knife. I think I need stitches, and 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 my husband's not home. So you're gonna to tend to that person. You're gonna call nine one one. You might wrap their hand and get them to the hospital, even though you have to make this cake for your daughter that she's expecting. Some people keep going for the sugar. Person's dying on the floor, and they're like, "I need a cup of sugar." <laughs> but this is but this is how we've become in this world, and that's. That's not working off the other person. That's not being in the moment. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. Um,
1: and this is why when people say, oh, I got divorced, my relationship failed. Well, duh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you weren't really... Because a lot of people don't say what they feel. Think of all the TV shows you watch, right? And you're like, when you watch The Nanny, like, just tell her you love her. Just admit that you love each other. The show would be over. Right? Every movie we watch, there's that comment. just just If you just told them you love uh, them, So
0: many over. times.
1: Right. And you're sitting yeah. there like you're going... Oh my, just tell them how you feel. Yeah. But again, then there'd be no show. And right. There no-
0: always has to be, there always just has to be something like that. Right. That where you go in the first 36 seconds, 30 seconds of this movie, if a character had made one different choice, the movie would have been over. And exactly. it sometimes takes you out of the movie, but you're like, I know. And that actually makes me think what do you think about exposition dumps in scenes? Because I, they always take me out of the movie. It's always like there has to be some character in the movie who sort of at, toward the end of the first act or something has to be like, what the hell is going on? You know, there has to be someone who's clueless. And then right. the other character can just sort of fill every, the audience in on all of these details.
1: I don't think it's always necessary. But I think that if you go like, now we're getting into writing. But if you go into yeah. the structure of a scene or a play, like I, I don't write like that. I know that. Oh, See, I I'm glad to hear that because I was going
0: to ask you if you if you write uh, how you write and, and okay, good to know. Okay, I so write go, very go ahead.
1: quickly. I write I do the opposite of everything everybody does I write very quickly I don't think a lot about it and then I have my actors read it. That's me so I think sometimes like when you have that character who does that you're like what Yeah. I, I don't I just want to take the journey with them. And not yeah. have somebody kind of force me into what I have to think about.
0: Yeah, I agree. It is It does underestimate the intelligence of the of yeah. audience, the exposition well, dumps.
1: It's interesting because when you do commercial technique, not to go off on another tangent, but I remember my um, commercial teacher, Ruth Nurkin, who was amazing. She used to always say at the end of the commercial, you know, everyone has their favorite way of eating an Oreo. Some people eat the cookie first, some people eat the middle. Me, I just pop the whole cookie in my mouth, idiot. You're basically, because if I want you to buy Oreos and you don't have any in your house, my job is to get you up off the couch, I don't care if it's two o'clock in the morning, to go find a 24-hour 7-Eleven because you just got a craving for Oreos. Otherwise, I didn't do my job. So you're an idiot if you got up at two o'clock in the morning and got a bag of Oreos, right? And that, to me, that's the part of this this business I don't like. That's why I like to think of myself more as a bridge, like building confidence, people feeling good about themselves. And when they do book work, that they have a good time, that you know that they really enjoy it. But back to the memorization, memorization is a whole different ballgame. And I have people that can't memorize. They have a really hard time. I do myself. So I do exercises using little monologues or TV commercials. And I prove to them that they can memorize in five minutes. And once we get through that, they're like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm like, dip, dip. I worked with an actor who I won't mention his name. I thrown on a set on an independent film, and he's sitting there with another famous actor. And he said, "Oh, you have a scene with Lori today." He goes, "No, I don't. I'm not. I don't know who you are." i I said, "I'm playing your sister." No, I. I don't have the scene memorized. And I knew we were on a budget. I said, "I promise you, you, will have the scene memorized in like 20 minutes." He thought I was nuts, and he did it. He's like, "How did I do it?" So there is a way to do it, not. That's not my preferred way. But when you have material that's been memorized, right, not technically, where you repeat it, you know, I would say eat blueberries, drink water. Don't do it when you're tired. Don't do it when you're in a bad mood. Do it when you have the most energy. It's first thing in the morning, or maybe you're a night person, right? Some people record it. They have all these. I have a list that I could give you that will tell you how to do, give I'll take you ideas. It. I'll I'll give it, I'll send it to you. Yeah, There's because I've always wait. wanted to
0: act. And one of my fears is not not being able to know the lines.
1: But it's not just that. It's also when you have, which I had one, but if you have a, listen, I wrote a book with one of my uh, former students, Finally Monologues at Work, right? And when you have a monologue, which is just a short speech in a book, maybe that's why my next book is called Finally Mini Monologues at Work. When you read it over, you read it over a, probably 50 times you just keep reading it over till you become familiar with it if it's a monologue from a play that's a whole different thing or a film because you have to read the script over many many times before you even dig into the monologue but for me as an acting teacher what I teach my students is sit down and either rewrite it handwrite it if you have good handwriting or type it up in the computer triple space it Get a separate notebook, a little composition book at the dollar store. Separate, do not put anything else in that book. Put the name of the monologue on that book and your name and make sure that it's private. You grab a dictionary, which I still like the paper ones or Google. Go through that piece, grab a highlighter. Highlighter and pencil are the two most important things for an actor, must always have them in your bag no matter where you go. Take the highlighter and highlight or circle with a pencil what words stand out to you? Is it love? Is it hate? Is it cake? Is it, is it uh, door? Is it mother? Is it father? Just words that, that hit you and then look them up and write them in your book, what they mean. You'll be surprised at the different meanings for different words. So now the, the meanings are living inside you. The words are living inside you. Now place those words. Where does love hit you? In your heart, in your head, what part of your body? Start to place them, meditate those words and then keep saying it over and over again. And all of a sudden now, and also like, what's the emotion? What is this person, what's their emotion? Are they happy, sad, mad, or scared? Who are they talking to? Their mom, their dad, their sister, their brother. What do they want from this person? Do all that work first. It doesn't have to be the stuff you're gonna stick with, but just make some choices. They don't have to be your end all yet because you eventually will need to make strong choices but then let it live inside you. And then all of a sudden the memorization becomes really easy because now you're getting a feel for the character. Now, a cold read or something you have to memorize quicker, that's a different story. You better get up, grab a line, do some jumping jacks, sort out some cards, brush your hair, wash a dish, whatever it is, you take that one line. Everyone has their favorite way of eating an Oreo then do some jumping jacks. Everyone has their favorite way of eating an Oreo. Until and, and then walk around vacuum because a lot of people will sit, then they get up and they hold the Oreo and they're like, "Uh-oh, uh, what's my line?" right? Yeah. Or they'll say the wrong lines and they won't get booked because they're making up their own things. It's it's a, it's a technique that you learn. But what I always want to teach is first dig into it. What do those words mean to you? Like I say to my kids, we talk about the Oreo first or the product or the corn or whatever it is we're doing. How do you feel about an Oreo? How does an Oreo make you feel? And I have them sniff it and they lick it, <laughs> they laugh, they're like take tiny, tiny bites. How does it feel in your mouth? They're like, and I love my little Sophie. She goes, it makes me feel it feels like happiness. So it feels like and that I'm gonna book that child because to me, I did casting and I did management and you would always get your little golden actor when you ask them those questions, whether it was a kid or an adult, right? How do you feel? It feels like happy. That's my kid. I don't care if she can act. I know that she's got that emotion Then that little, then the Broadway child who's been like programmed to be the son will come out, you know, yeah, that yeah. little robot, um, which is not normal. Again, be yourself, and when it comes to memorization, the more you just allow yourself and breathe and relax, it's gonna, it's, I promise you, it will come so easy to you. We also torture ourselves because I'm a bad memorizer. I have to lock the door, not go out to dinner, not when I'm gonna play, not talk to anybody because that's me. But if I do my work then it lives inside me. So when I'm shopping at King Cullen, it's, it's absorbing into my body and I'm listening to music, it's absorbing in there. And again, do not try to memorize something when you're frustrated, tired, or hungry. That's another big one. Dehydrated and hungry. People, uh, I came over, don't do it when you just get home from school. Wait till you have your downtime and you've been out in the backyard or you went for a walk or you worked out at the gym. Don't force yourself. A lot of times we force ourselves to memorize. Same thing probably with, with learning music. If you're not in the mood or you're mad or tired, or haven't slept, You hear musicians say this all the time. And comedians, I was up all night. You know, I always get the texts always from musicians at three or four in the morning or comedians who've been up all night. I'm like, did you just, I was finally asleep, right? Because we're on a different clock. You can't memorize something when you're not grounded and you're not relaxed and you're hungry. It's like the same thing, you feed a baby when it cries. It's the same thing for us. How can you possibly function and expect yourself to do that? So those are the basic things. Breathe, relax, and then handwrite it. Always handwrite it. Let it live inside you. Look up those words. And I promise you it will come easier. Have a relationship with the product. Have a relationship with the song. I hear so- singers or dancers, they're dancing to a song. They don't know what the song's about. When I work with dancers, I say, okay, let's start with the song. Retype it up write down the words here's the lyrics now break it up down as a monologue and then I ask my dancers how do you feel what do you think this song's about I had one a bunch of girls one year this dance is beautiful but no emotion I think this is about a dad leaving their family and I'm thinking same thing and then oh, about abandonment about this about anger about divorce next thing I know I have out of the 30 girls 14 of them crying hysterically it brought up all kinds of emotions for them I go I said to the dance teacher turn on the music turn it on. She's like, what? She's crying. The choreographer's crying. I go, get up and dance. So they got up and they danced with all this emotion. They ended up coming in first place, which I'm very proud of. You could feel it in the auditorium. It was just so raw and so open because they tapped into something. And then they knew what the song was. They were dancing to a song. They didn't know what it was about. And I'm sure you've had this song. You've had a song thrown and You're like, what is this song about?
0: Oh, it happens all the time.
1: Right. And I think when you put meaning to things and you put your body into it, your heart into it, your breath into it, anything is possible. And memorization will will start to flow because you have all these, you'll see when your daughter does cold reads, which I'm impressed that she did this audition because that's a self-tape. That's a whole other different technique.
0: Yeah, no, I was just going to say, and what one very, very interesting thing about that experience doing it with her was same thing goes with how one reads a line you know uh especially if you're not getting any direction if you just get sides you know there's a little bit of direction uh, mom stands with her eyes burning with fury and throws the cell phone at you and and then you you're supposed to say mom you know or whatever but just that process of talking with her about it and 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 saying like that you know there are certain things that you could say here differently that would completely change the way it will go and how it will sound and um I'm wondering is that when you are acting uh taking off your teacher's hat for a moment here when you yourself are acting in a scene are you relying on direction are you relying on notes from a director or are you you're just going with your instinct
1: Sometimes, I mean, that's after I've done research, but I think like I just did something where I had to direct myself, which is always harder, you know, and there is no feedback. I, For me, it's I've done my work, I've done my research, I've worked on the character, and then I just let it naturally happen. And it's going to be different every time you cannot, you know, do it again the same time like that's like saying you were brilliant last night. Oh my God, you were so good in that performance. And then someone comes to see it again. And high school kids do this all the time. They're like, you were better last night. Last night's over, that moment's over. So yeah, yeah, you're basically, you've done the work, you know the character, but now you're working off the other person if you're in the scene with someone else. And like I was recently did a workshop and the character forgot his prop. So it was like imperative that he had this prop. That's what the whole scene was about. And I'll have to say, it. Kind of took me out of the moment and it made me mad. Yeah. Me, Lori, made me mad. Yeah. Like it went into the character and I didn't see. And they were like, when I walked off stage, here I am, acting teacher, director, a writer, they're like, you didn't say the church line. I went, the church line was not important. He forgot his prop at that point and it pissed me off. And I put it into the character mm. and that was it. And yeah. I, a friend of mine so said, you were so bitchy. You were so good. And I'm thinking, I upped it because that was a natural thing. I was like, you idiot, you know, in my head, you forgot the prop, you know? And it just came out that way, you know, because things like that happen. Props break, people for actors forget things. People miss their cues. You can't say to the audience, oh my God, the other actor just screwed up or I screwed up, I gotta start again. You gotta keep going. It's the same thing. You worked on the scene, you got directed. You might not always get a good director, and stuff happens. Maybe I just broke up with my boyfriend and I'm supposed to be happy in a scene. And maybe I'm laughing yet, you know, I start to cry during that moment. And that's okay. You know, you can't you can't fight it. And then so, oh, you're supposed to be happy in that scene. What, what am I supposed to do? Ignore that emotion? Then it looks like I'm fighting with myself. But then there are directors that come on set and tell you specifically what to do. But you can't always depend on that because you might not, have a director you don't have one in your living room when you're doing a, a self tape right on your own like your daughter just got and yeah. you have you telling her what to do and no offense but you don't know what you're saying i'm <laughs> you not telling
0: her no to no do. I'm, Believe, but i had parents that doesn't happen
1: <laughs> no but i had parents that do right or i've had parents can i stay in the session i'm like no but i've had parents stand behind me and I'm watching the kid. I'm like, what's wrong with my mom is telling me to do something else. I'm like, Ugh, get out. Right. Yeah, because yeah. they're not letting them think on their own. So you can't depend What I'm trying to say long story short is you cannot depend on a director because there are some really good ones and there's some really bad ones. But then if you make that commitment to be in that project and that director, because <laughs> I just had that conflict. I recently backed out of a project, which was really hard for me because I wasn't, my opinion wasn't being respected, and I said, "You picked me to direct this, so you're fighting me the whole way. There's really nowhere I can go with this. I can't work with actors who are very young, and they say they admire me and they respect me, but they don't want to listen. You know. And I am when I when I told them they wanted very specific things, and I said, "When I'm I've got to get to know you first. So I'm not going to do a lot of blocking, and I'm not going to do a lot of pick up the cup and drink it." You guys need to learn the characters. You guys need to, I want to see how you move freely, freely about this space. So I could put you, parts of you into those characters. They didn't get that, right? They wanted me to tell them exactly what to do because they were inexperienced. But if yeah. I did that, the show would have been terrible, if that makes sense. But that's how I direct. I yeah. want to see who you are. When I say to my students, when I first meet them, young or old, I say, You are so special. You are so beautiful, so wonderful, so special, so amazing. And they look at me and go, How do I know that? I just met you. I don't even know half your last name. How do I know that? They're like, I don't know. Because there's only one you. There's only one you. And that's what you're going to bring to acting. Not, you know, I love Sally Fields. And some people have told me I maybe look a little bit like her. I'm not Sally Fields. I love Joanne Woodward. I actually auditioned. Part to play the young version of her. I bow down to her, but I am not her. I am me. And whether you like me or not or you think I'm crazy or you think I'm weird or you think I'm not attractive, it doesn't matter. It's me. I'm unique and wonderful because it's because I'm me and there's only one me. Nobody has my genetic makeup. no one has my heart, my soul. And that's what you need to be an actor, to be open, to be vulnerable and to be you. No, I remember walking around three years. I was on the soap opera, One Life to Live as a newspaper reporter. And I'd be like, I'm never going to get a lead role. I'm not tall enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not this enough. Mm -hmm. And an actor, Tom Epland, who was on Another World, took me around the set of Another World and literally was sad, which wasn't very pointed out people's flaws. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, nobody here is better than you. Nobody here is prettier than you. Do you understand? And I remember it was, he did it in a different way, but I remember going, oh, he's right. And he's like, go on set and watch people. Go see them without makeup on. And that's what I loved about some of the actors that I worked with. They were so open and vulnerable. These women would walk on with no makeup, didn't brush their teeth, didn't shower. And these were people I watched on TV for years. And I'm like, this is what it is. It's just being you. Yes, you learn the technique and then you let it go. Yeah. And that, again, Ted, is not how I teach. I teach from the heart and from, from your body and from whatever you have. And that's all I can ask of you. But I do have students that come in and they're like resistant and they're in a bad mood or whatever. I'm like, okay, what do you want to get out of this class? You actually, they didn't show up. You don't have to take this class. This costs money. What do you want to do
0: with it? Right. You make you that know, decision yeah you know and and what you were just saying about having this actor show you around the 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 set of another world and everything you were saying about you are you and it makes me think of an interview i saw with tom hanks where someone the person asked him like what's the most important thing that you've learned along the way as an actor and he said something to the effect of that i'm tom hanks and this is how i look and if you put me in a baseball hat i'm tom hanks with a baseball hat and, you know, that that level of acceptance about who he was, um, was was actually very insightful for me to hear. And, uh, and and then another thing I wanted to ask is about backstory, because I also recently saw an interview with Matthew McConaughey, where he was talking about how he got the part in his first film, which was Dazed and Confused. Just a great movie written by Richard Linklater, uh, who I, I who is just a great writer, in my opinion. Um, and, and McConaughey was just like, well, I, you know, story, story, story. I got, I got asked to do the part. I went down, I was about to do my first scene and he had sort of invented this whole backstory about his character, which was based very much on his older brother, you know, standing outside the high school with one foot against the the brick, smoking a cigarette, you know, and that just whole all right, all right, all right (laughs) kind of persona became Matthew McConaughey's character. And so I was wondering, do you do you create backstories for your characters or are you sometimes given a backstory?
1: Well, it depends. Sometimes you get like like I said, some writers that give you like like that story, like that give you tons of background. And there's some that don't. You read a script and you're like, okay, what do I do? There's no stage directions or barely any. And there is. And this happens a lot when, when you get like an audition. Like I remember going like I'm working with an actor I'm like did they did the. Agent sends something, what's this person about? So we would have to look up those main meanings and figure out what the character was about because maybe it's a brand new film, a brand new show and there's nowhere to research. It's not like a play that's been around for a long time, right? The film is always, almost always new. So yeah, you have to create that. Is it right? Who cares? You know, you might get on set, make a choice and make a strong choice so that when you do show up like Matthew McConaughey for the audition, maybe the director's like, that's not where we were going, but this is brilliant. And they added, I had a one, a young student who was, I think seven at the time. And he went in for an audition for a commercial. His kid was amazing. And um, actually he has a show right now and he he was little and they asked him, I will to tell the story wrong, but they asked him how a cell phone talks. What would a cell phone say? And he told them what he thought a cell phone would say. And I think it was the Cohen brothers and they actually used what this little boy said and put it into the commercial. I have to find it on YouTube. I have to ask his mom. And he ended up becoming a producer. I think at seven or eight years old because oh, they used what he said. And that was the perfect example of making a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was so proud of him and impressed, you know, that he would go in and, and was able to do this. So yeah, he, he, came up with the backstory right off the bat when they asked him, but there's some people like if you're going in for something, you have to make choices. You have to know what your character's about, what and and everything. And then the director hopefully will ask you, like, where did you come up with that? Or they might go, you know what, Laurie, that's wrong. We love what you did, but that was not where we're going. We really need this. And you have to be able to do that, to change that. You can't argue with the director and go, well, I see the character like this. Like Matthew McConaughey, I think I've heard that story before. He locked out because they yeah. thought that was a great backstory and it worked for the character. And some directors will let you do that. And some will be like, mm, this is where we're going with the character. We don't want any improv, which I think is sad. We don't want anything. I want to see what actors bring to the table. But knowing who you're talking to, what you want and how you're going to get it and where that character came from, the more backstory you have that works for me, the better my work's going to be. Because... I know where I'm going with it. You have to, otherwise you're going to be all over the place. But I appreciate things like that. Like, like Tom Hanks says to me, I'm like, I'm not impressed when an actor loses a lot of weight or gains a lot of weight. When someone puts a prosthetic on or a, you know, like, like one of the characters I played to play was pregnant. I couldn't go get pregnant for the part. Nobody would ask a woman, Right. You're going to be nine months pregnant during this entire film, which we're going to be filming for three months. What are you saying? So you have to wear a, you know, a pregnant bodysuit, and you, and we have to believe that you're pregnant with the heaviness, the back pain, what goes along with that. So when someone says, "Oh, you know, I gained a lot of weight," or "I lost a lot of weight for a role," I don't know I, that to me bothers me because now your your body is taking a toll. You know, lose five or ten pounds, one thing, but nowadays they can do things like that. You know, you have AIDS in a film. You shouldn't have to lose thirty pounds. It's not. You know, I love Matthew McConaughey, but I know he's done things like that. I yeah. think it hurts you physically. I think for me, if you can make it come out of the words and your body and your emotion, it's gonna be more important than, you know, gaining weight, losing weight and, and stuff. And then when you put on like makeup and things like that, like watching an actor transform um, when they put on some makeup or a costume is to me, then they they have that underneath. And then when they take it off, you're like, whoa, it wasn't because that, the hair and makeup took us on the journey, but it was what it was underneath it because anyone could put on a mask, but we might not feel anything. It's the same thing. You know, that's why I love Gary Oldman. Um, oh, yeah. I was fascinated by him. Just some of the changes. Where I know Daniel Day Lewis, uh, you know, tortures his soul. He was one of my clients when I worked in public relations. Some actors do torture themselves, where others just they do the backstory, like you said. They've worked closely with the director as a process, and then when they put on the you know the blue the contacts or whatever, you get engaged. But it wasn't because of the blue contacts. It was because what was underneath the hair and the makeup and the costumes. Yes, it does change your behaviors, the shoes, the clothes, if you're doing a period piece. I remember, you know, having to wear a corset, you, you know, and you can't breathe. You're like, it does change your acting. You're like, well, God, I hope I make it through and I don't die, you know? But am glad, it, glad it,
0: you brought that up because it actually makes me, uh, there was a question I wanted to ask you, which is if you get a script, you like it, you 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 audition, you get the part, this is you're, this is still just like you in your living room or whatever, uh, and then eventually when you show up on set, what I was going to ask is how does costume design and set deck affect you as your character and your performance? Is that is that is that yeah. an important moment when you arrive on a set and they fit you for your for your clothes? Well, usually,
1: and- if it's a major role, I mean. You, you go for wardrobe fittings and costumes and there's yeah. a whole process. And then, you know, you, a lot of people like have a say, like I love watching those documentaries. Like even with Sex in the City, there was Sarah Jessica Parker. Like she went, she got to see all the old costumes and they let her make choices for her character because she knows, no one knows her character better than her. Well, you might not always have that opportunity. Some people have a say, but yeah, it does change. I just recently in this little production that I was working on that I played um, an 80 year old grandmother you know, and I got I got a kick and I did my own hair and makeup. You know, I got a kick. I was just looking at the pictures again this morning. I'm like, wow, like a friend of mine came to see the show and she was sitting in the hallway and I, we, you know, it was a, a workshop. So, of course, people would see me walking through and I walked up to her and said hello to her. And she looked at me. She's like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> she didn't know it was me and it was not an attractive character, but I, I could stop looking at myself in the mirror. Cause I was like, look at this, this is like really cool. And it did change once I had the dress on and the shoes on, it put me right into it. And I was kind of relieved when I was able to wash off my makeup and go, Oh, thank God. I look so, I actually appreciated myself more because I'm like, I look much better than I thought I did. Yeah. So it is, it is a fun journey. And if you get that opportunity, like I worked on a, uh, a scary a horror film you wouldn't want to say that and everybody else got to do makeup but me and I was mm. jealous I was jealous because they were like are you crazy like they had to wear like weird eyes or like you know they had to stick the straws up their nose with the prosthetics and literally change their face but I thought how cool is that right. so yeah. yeah I I look forward that's why one of the things about aging as an actor because you don't care then after it was like yeah I want to do that like I, I I said to one filmmaker I'm like he was doing this zombie series. I'm like, I want to be a zombie. I want to eat someone. He's like, kind of shocked to hear that from me. I'm like, please, please. He's like, I would rather have you more in a lead or something else. I go, no, I want to be a zombie that eats somebody. And he's like, okay. Because I thought that would be fun, like to try something. Like my son just is working on a, a film right now and he sends me a picture of his teeth and I'm like freaking out. I'm like, do you know what they put in your mouth? And he, you know, he's a good looking kid and he's got nice teeth. And it was like rotten teeth. And I kids, like I couldn't stop looking at the picture because it was so realistic that and he loved it. He thought this was really cool. So it changed. He said it changed how he felt about the character once they did that. So yeah. it's a journey. It's there's so much to acting. I mean, look, we can talk about it for hours. It never ends. There's film, there's TV, there's commercials. And I say to kids now and adults, I didn't have this when I first started Amazon. Hulu, Netflix. There was just your basic channels. There was soap operas. There was Law I'm and Order. I, th- I mean, Thank every you. every actor you met has been, at least on one episode of Law and Order and Sex in the City. I'd have people go, "Oh, my friend was on Law the- on Law and Order." I said, "Everybody's been on. If you were a New York actor, you had to have done at least one episode."
0: <laughs> I know, <laughs> so, it's- and it's amazing watching old ones where you're like, "Oh, oh shit, that's Stephen Colbert <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> on Law and yes. Order." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I had some of my my ex husband's aunt's like, I saw you on Law and Order. She is a court reporter. I'm like, oh yeah, that's so funny. Like the fact that you didn't even recognize me is funny. But yeah, yeah, everybody has been at least on a soap opera once or twice, an extra work or a day player or something. Or and back then when you did extra work on films, people knew you. That's how I got my SAG card.
0: Yeah, but I, you mentioned being in a horror film, and this raises a question um, that I'm very curious about, which is. And, and you also brought up Daniel Day Lewis, who immediately sprang to mind when you were talking about method. And because I think, you know, there are so many stories of, of him. For example, when he did the film Lincoln, where he, off screen, everyone cast and crew had to refer to him as Mr. Lincoln, and he played a, a character in Gangs of New York, the Martin Scorsese Martin Scorsese film, where supposedly he didn't shower for weeks. And I've also heard stories about it having, as you talked about, uh, can have a somewhat harrowing effect on a human being.
1: Nervous breakdown. Right.
0: Have you had experiences like that where you've been, not necessarily had it so severe as having a nervous breakdown, breakdown, but have you had parts and characters that have left you deeply affected in some way long after you played the role?
1: I think, well, for me as a beginning actor, I was lucky enough to play Anne Frank for a community theater and Mm. I had no acting experience. And wow, I've done it so many times. And anytime anyone asked me to do it, I don't care if I was 50. I'm like, yeah, I want to play Anne. Yeah, that was, I did, because I was also a beginning actor, I was immersed in um, research. I found someone who Actually knew a lot about the Holocaust. He was a historian over right here on Long Island, and I spent hours with him on the floor in the library, and him giving me books, and you know, like listening to to everything. Because I eventually ended up playing a real life character, thirteen year old Nazi. So it was the opposite of Anne Frank. So those two characters really lived with me. With Anne, though, um, I didn't have any experience, and I think that's when I was really thought method. You know, Paul Newman's my hero. So that was what I was looking up. And I got immersed in the character, I didn't eat. I felt nauseous all the time. I was dizzy. I was tired. I was anxious. I was angry. I took her with me wherever I went to the point of when I first, I took my first professional acting class in the city, when I met my acting teacher, my mentor, he was like, what have you been doing? I go, why? He goes, how old are you? I was like, why? He goes, you're acting like a child. You're jumping around and your voice is childlike. And it's what have you been doing? I said, well, I played Anne Frank. And then I played Tilly and Gamma Ray. He's two 13 year olds. He's like, stop. He's like, we've got to start all over with you. And I didn't understand what he was saying because I thought the same thing. Like you have to immerse yourself in the character. And I remember when I got a job in public relations, when I first got out of college, um Daniel Day Lewis was so exciting to know that he was a client. And I don't want to like spread rumors or anything because I don't really have detail. But yeah, he was doing my left foot and he did not look good when I saw him. Yeah. And was like, oh my God, you know, like that's really not a healthy way of working. But yeah, you'll meet actors that do have breakdowns. And for me, that was a big life lesson. The same thing with Tilly and Gamma Rays was an abused child. And I took them with me wherever I went wherever I went. And then there was a point where you go through technique and that's why Meisner was more attractive to me because it's a healthier way of learning. You know, that, um, yeah, you have your private time before you're about to go on stage, but you should be able to tap into your character when needed. Like this, if you get really good technique, it lives on the surface of your skin. Like people say, like, how do you cry so easily? Cause it's right there. But I don't walk around in my car going, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's just unhealthy. To me, it's the opposite. Use it to be healthier and stronger. But yes, there are actors that, and again, that's not how I teach. And that's not what I, I tell my students not to do because you end up living in misery. You're not Abraham Lincoln, no offense. That's kind of like a narcissistic way of thinking about acting because for people to walk around, like I wouldn't want people to go, hey, Anne Frank, that would creep me out. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Now, to yeah. me, that's unhealthy because I am not Anne Frank. I'm an I'm an actor who's embodying her, who's slipping into her, slipping into her skin. But I'm still me. I'm Laurie as Anne Frank, and every person who I've seen it on Broadway, like, hey, I did a pretty good job. And I've seen so many different versions of it, right? Very popular, like Abraham Lincoln. You've seen so many actors play him. And each one brought something different to it, right? We're always like, was it just the Tammy Faye? I just watched it, you know, with Jessica Chastain, who just won an Oscar, you know, the way she, she, that's the way she embodied that character. And I actually sympathize. Some people wouldn't, you know, and there'd be some actors who would play the same character that you'd be like, oh, I hate her. But oh, wait a second, I kind of feel sorry for her. Every actor brings something different. And you, you're you, like I just said before, you can't erase, you can put on all the makeup and all the hair, but you're still you. So to have someone refer to me as the character and not be able to go in and out, I'm more interested in the actor who could tap into it like that. And so like, hey, to- hey, let's have a donut. Let's have some coffee to, up, oh, got to go. I got to be on set. And 15 minutes later, you're like, oh, how did she do that? You know, because I did yeah. my work. I did my research and I was able to jump into it, then torture my soul and expect everyone else to join in on that. I don't know, it'd be kind of weird. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. I understand actors, like I tell them, like when I'm in a play, like, don't talk to me, like, you know, before call, like a half hour before. I'm not gonna be talking to you about, you know, what you bought on Amazon. I show up on set early if you have any questions for me. And then I have my time where and I've, I've done my warm up at home. I've done everything I need to do at home. And then I let it go. And then I bring it back and then I let it go. Yeah. So it's says 15 minutes to call. I'm in the corner somewhere, you know, but I know some of my actors take it. To, I'm like, no, we can't. You're going too far. I got to bring you back a little bit, you know, and I do mm-hmm. have actors like that. But everyone's different, but that's a that's what you learn as a process. I mean, that's what he chose as an actor. But I think he only does one film a year because of that, or one film every few years, because that's got to be emotionally again. I don't want to quote anything about Daniel, but you know, a lot you hear a lot about actors that do that, that literally take like torture their souls to the point where they can only do one film every three or four years. Right? When was the last thing you saw? You know what I mean? Where some actors like, they're like, yeah, what? Right. That it should be a healthy thing, is what I'm trying to say. Acting is a healthy thing. It's my expression that I made up years ago. Is acting is a way in, not a way out. Because I think sometimes you use it as an excuse when we hear like an actor is on drugs or in rehab. That has nothing to do with acting. That has to do with what your general makeup and what you didn't resolve in your life. You know, and it, But that's the things you don't want to take on the journey.
0: Yeah, and you. I mean, you hear that story. So much about about comedians, yeah. um, same kind of thing, you know. Some somehow tortured. Robin Williams would be an example, but there there are many more. But you know, I I've, I have a couple questions that I just want to get out right now um, as we ca- kind of get to the end here. When I watch one of the things I love so much about movies and good television is, in my mind, intellectually, I know this to be true that what i'm watching is the product of hundreds and in some cases thousands of people lighting boom operators you know all these people a director a director of photography various producers on set cast members all this stuff going on sets sometimes people in front of a blue screen but when, but my heart and my gut Become so deeply involved in what I'm seeing as a viewer that I forget about about all of that stuff, and that that's one of the most wonderful things about about movies and 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 really great television is that I-, I can suspend my disbelief, um, and 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 be moved to tears, to to hysterical laughter, to to real genuine fear. Uh, a whole range of emotions can wash over me watching something. and But you're, you as an actor, uh, as someone who's performed both on stage and on screen, it's everywhere around you all of the things I was just describing in three dimensions at the end of the day, there is a camera or more than one camera mm-hmm. pointed at you or moving around you. Yes. There are, there's lighting an audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so scarier.
1: that's theater. It's even scarier when there's an audience. And yeah, And no that's actually cut. a question.
0: That's a there's question no I want to get there's to. There's no edit. Right. Yeah. Um, that's why I love theater. Yeah. Um So for you as an actor, how do you, Play that character and be in that scene with other actors or alone, whatever it is, with all of these sort of sensory overloads everywhere you turn.
1: To me, it's like it's being in the moment and it's also doing it many times. I mean, one of the first things I booked was a, a TV, uh, like a long TV commercial for Entertainment Weekly magazine. And they actually overbooked the actors because they didn't really know who was going to make it or not. And they brought us to this old warehouse in New Jersey that was like zero degrees. And I was like, why is there so many actors here? There's no way we can all be in it. And the, the camera was literally this close to your face. There was one here, like a few inches here, away. Yeah, here, here, and here. It was my first experience, new actor. And I go on set and they asked, who can um, play the guitar? I was like, I can. The only mm-hmm. one. I can play three chords. When I can, I was like scared. So they hand me this electric guitar and they're like, go ahead, play. So I played the three chords I knew. So now I know I was in the commercial. So the director's loving me and he's thinking it's great. So now they actually give me a good chunk of it. And they changed the dialogue so many times, and then they put the camera closer and closer to my face. And that, not only that, but it was freezing cold, like I said, in this, in this, the place that we were in, this old broken down warehouse with the president of Entertainment Weekly, all these big wigs, like we're all, now you look up and there's all these people standing around you and the booms hanging over your head and it's going back and forth. And then you have a microphone attached to your back And then I also, which I don't recommend, I didn't tell the truth. They asked me if I could um, use a, what's it called? Air air Bud or something. I always forget what it's called. And I said, yeah, do you have experience with that? I'm like, yeah. So they're like, Laura, you said you have experience with it. I was like, yeah. And they stuck this thing in my ear, this little worm. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. what is that? Yeah. So now there's people talking to me in my ear, telling me what to do. And I have to suck on an ice cube because now there's frost coming out of my mouth and they couldn't have that on camera. So you had to suck on an ice cube to take away the fact that I was freezing to death and spit it in a bucket and then turn around and go three CDs for free, you know, or whatever the dialogue was. And then they're like, okay, Lori, the camera's still rolling. Um, We're going to play a song in your ear and we want you to respond to it. I was like, so now everyone's talking to me from different directions And then all of a sudden I hear changes to face the strain. And I automatically got emotional because I love David Bowie and it came on. And I love the moment in the commercial because I look down like I'm about to cry and I sing the song and it made it in the commercial. And I would say, I sang with David Bowie, you know, (laughs) but it was a lesson to be learned. Like I was glad I got thrown into it. But from that moment on, and then, of course, I studied, went to on more on camera classes, be in the moment. And I, till this day, walk into an audition. Well, now, now everything's online. And I name my camera. I call my camera Freddie. It's my own secret. Freddy's like my buddy. He's the person I tell everything to. He knows everything about me. And when I walk in, as I'm saying, hi, nice to meet you. And I'm shaking your hand. I'm going, hey, Freddie, how you doing? Like, I'm looking at the camera going, there he is. He's waiting for me. And he's going to support me. That's how I work. I make it very personal. And all of a sudden, just because you have to do this in theater, that's why theater is so important to do this first. Because you're in front of a live audience and you can't hear someone, you know, uh, unwrapping. You know, and I see actors that do this. Like Cate Lapone yells and stops. I don't believe in that. Keep going. You, If you're hearing this, you're not in the moment. The building could be on fire and I probably won't know it. Yeah. The whole, I'll just keep acting. And I think that's what it is that teaches that focus. And when you're that focused and that grounded, you don't see all of this. Like I said, all of a sudden you hear David Bowie in your ear and you're alone in your room with your hairbrush in your hair, you know, singing and dancing to his record. And, and that I think is a part of me as well, because I have such a strong imagination, but that comes with, theater technique, strong theater technique and grounding yourself because you don't notice the people in the audience. You don't see any of that. You don't hear any of that. It's just magical. It's being in the moment, it's working off the other person. And if it's not a person and it's just the fourth wall, the person you imagined on the fourth wall or the camera, like I said, I need mine, Freddie, then I'm gonna work with Freddie. Freddie's gonna help me. And the one camera, it was like this big square, it was different, like with the barn doors on the side. So you don't know what kind of camera you're gonna get either. And I remember seeing my reflection in the camera. That was even harder because I could see myself. I was like, don't look in the mirror. And I was like, okay, really focus on that center. You are talking to these people. They need to know how wonderful this magazine is and all the things they can get out of it. And every time I would watch that commercial with all those people and hearing myself say, until this day, three CDs for free. And I got the mm-hmm. commercial because I was able to physically fan the CDs. Nobody else could do it. And I practiced those over little and over. Those talents
0: ahead. that-, that- can yeah. really get you the gig sometimes, huh? Right.
1: And, and they said that they loved also that what got me on was I jumped on the coffee table in the audition and played my Sharona on the air guitar. The director's like, stop, you got the part. I can't, I just can't. And why <laughs> did I get it? Because I had decided that day that I was going to have a baby. And this was my last audition. I was relaxed. I was in the moment. I didn't care. And I remember walking in the door and my husband said to me, you got the part. I'm like, what? You got me your first refusal. I'm like, you. I thought I, was, I thought they were going to say this woman's insane. Like I was not right for the part. I walked in with biker boots on and a, a junglery jean shirt because they wanted somebody that was cool. I was far from cool. I am not cool at all. So they thought, you know what? She isn't cool, but it works. It it worked in my favor that way, but that I, they actually told me they changed their idea because of what I did, because I was so funny and they thought they needed that. So, and you got to take that risk. And like I said, even doing something like that, you have to just say, okay, this is my one woman show, my one man show. I have two minutes. I might as well enjoy it.
0: Sure. And you know, it's funny because you mentioned uh, them going with a totally different, like, for example, in your case, they were like, oh, we really like you, even though you aren't exactly what we had in mind. And then they changed it to for you. And that that makes me think I think about this a lot, the whole idea of casting and the, the probably the most famous story that I can think of is, you know, casting someone like Harrison Ford in the original Star Wars film. He was like, doing some acting he'd been in a little bit and he was mostly working as a carpenter doing odd jobs you know and then he gets this role uh and then and then if you know getting cast as Indiana Jones and the person that they were looking for was Tom Selleck that was a person that they were kind of interested in and what a different path the those two actors had just based on being cast in a certain role And, uh, you know, and I think to myself, what if Tom Selleck had been Indiana Jones? It just doesn't feel right. You know,
1: right. Uh, And and you hear those stories all the time. Yeah. You know, it's like and then even just simple as friends when they were saying that they wanted Courtney Cox as um, Jennifer Aniston's character, you know, Rachel. And then she was like, no, I'm not a Rachel. I'm a Monica. And they listened to her. She was bold enough to say, if you want me for this, I'm definitely not Rachel. And then when you try to think of her as Rachel, you're like. No, any, and you hear the films. It was just when they said. Madonna turned down Catwoman. You know, like oh, there the was, turned
0: down things are always oh, great, I always love those. Yeah, and,
1: and then you try to envision the like. No, they need a great choice. Not yeah. once did you ever go. Oh yeah, they should have went with so and so. Right, just like yeah. you just you
0: can't.
1: Yeah. Tom Selleck. He was like, I love Tom Selleck. He, he was huge. Yeah. And, you know, Magnum P.I., but no, I cannot see him. And, and that's because Harrison Ford brought him, brought himself to the role. So, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. you can't see anybody else. Yeah, like, it becomes
0: destiny in its own way, even though it was just it was just a choice. And it could have been a flip of the coin kind of a choice. And yeah. but then it becomes it becomes destiny. It's like Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones and there's that's there's true. no other and, way around it.
1: And your daughter needs to know, remember somebody else's opinion, cause I've been in big auditions where, you know, you go to these big casting things and you pay for them, which is ridiculous, which nobody should do. And they'd be, these girls are beautiful. And like the agents would like tell them everything that was wrong with them. And they're in the bathroom crying. And I would go in there and go, oh, stop. I'm like, did you see the casting director? They're like 50 pounds overweight. They didn't brush their teeth. There's like drool coming out. And the girls would laugh. I go, they're doing this because they wanted to be an actor, but it didn't, excuse my French, didn't have the balls to do it. It's the only way to say <laughs> it. They didn't have the courage, right? They're like, oh, Laurie, you know, uh, you look too, you got too skinny. You look like you have cancer. You need to grow your hair. You need to do this. Because I took a chance. It was Winona Ryder, Jamie Moore was in. So I had the short haircut, a little bit of blonde. I did look like a little boy. But joining me, I was like, whatever. I took a a risk. I tried a new look. I got a new photographer. I waited six months to be photographed by this person. It didn't work, you know? But people have an opinion and who they think should, should make it and not make it or who should be the right choice. But if you have a bunch of casting directors in a room, I love when they fight with each other, who they think is right for the part. They have a list of what they're looking for and they're getting paid to find it. And they want you to be your best. That's what I always tell actors. They want you to walk in and do something different and blow them away. They don't want you following what you think the script should be. Try something different like I did. Try something out of the ordinary. And sometimes you'll get a freaking part because you're the one that shows up all the time. I'm always first on set. I'm on set before crew. I've had cast say to me, this one guy say to me, you know, you're in a really bad neighborhood, Lori, stop coming here at 6am when you don't have to be here till eight. Cause I was afraid of getting lost. He's like, this is dangerous. I would go to breakfast with the crews half the time. Cause I was always the first person there things happen, you know, but you just, I mean, I had a miscarriage. And then I remember one of the actors asked me how many, how long, how far along are you? What is it? Three months, two days and two hours. And everyone looked at him and I mean, I had to go on after that. And I was so, in so much pain. And when I watched the episode, you never would have known. I was like, okay, yeah. use it. Use that moment. So things do happen. Calamities, things get broken. People get fired like any other job. But if you really love what you do, you might take a break, but you will find a way to continue. You know, those days are like, how am I going to pay the bills? But you know, it's wonderful and amazing and fantastic. And for me, what acting is—not just as an actor—it—it's got me through some of the worst times of my life, literally. And I think it's helped me survive through some really bad things, um, even surgeries. You know, when my son was born, having a cesarean, and my doctor peeks behind the curtains, whatever you do, and keep doing it because I was bleeding out, and I was doing my work, and I was—and the first thing my acting teacher called me. I go, oh. I go, Jim, I almost died. And I tell him, I did all the work that you taught me. And, and, and I think it kept me alive. And she goes, he goes, wow, what a horrible story. But think how good it will be for your acting. <laughs> and when he was yeah. passing away, he was had cancer, and he called me on the phone a lot, giving me like mini acting sessions. Even as he was laying in the hospital, he's like, listen to me. He goes, I'm dying. I said, You're not dying. He said, Yes, I am. And I need you to do something for me don't stop doing what you do. And and people might not like it and people might refuse what you have to offer. Don't stop. Because I've taught so many people and the one I think about every day is you because you get it. You get the work. Please don't stop. And that stays with me as his picture and his notes are at the front of my door every time I walk in and every time I leave, because there are times, with just something that happened to me recently, you wanna give up, but you have to stick to what you believe and what you feel and look back at the progress and how it works. Because if, you got, if you're doing it, really, really, really doing it and really being in the moment and really listening and really working off the other person, magic will happen, but there's gonna be so many people that will resist you that don't wanna go on that journey. And I say to my students, that those are not your people. You'll be lucky if you meet, I say to my son, two or three, you are the luckiest person in the world. If you meet one, you're super blessed. Any more than that, oh my God, you're the luckiest person because not everybody gets it. And we're creatives and you can never put a creative person, musician, actor, writer, in a little box where are many different things at many different times and that's what makes this so wonderful and and people ask me what do you like better being a teacher acting teacher being an actor I'm like there's no way to choose I'm an actor first and because I'm an actor first I'm a human being but because I'm an actor all of that spawns off into this wonderful things writing a children's book or writing a monologue book or writing a song or a play and meeting wonderful people like you or Meg, you know, those are the things that you go, Oh, okay. This was worth it. This was worth it.
0: Beautifully said. And I, I just want to tell you that this has been fascinating. Just talking with you fascinating and turns out emotional and I, what can I say? I'm 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 really really happy to have had this opportunity to talk with you. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. And and that,
1: it's okay. James Bonney, best acting James teacher. Bonnie. Not a lot of not a lot of people like Jim because he was tough and he was strong and he was stuck to what he believed. But I always remembered Sam Shepard as I was going down the hallway at, at Theatre Row Studios, and he said, "Are you?" the people that yell and scream all the time. I said, yep, that's us. He's like, we can hear you all over the building. I said, then we're doing it right. Yeah. Just looked at me and I'm thinking here, I'm meeting one of my idols, someone I admire. And I love when people said that we used to shake the building and that's God rest his soul. That he was supposed to teach with me, but didn't make it to that point, but he never gave up in what he believed. And I am going to carry that torch because it does work. It really does work. And I don't care if I'm teaching one person or I'm teaching 20. I always say I have my, my one door is yellow because it makes you smile and happy. And the next door is blue, it makes you calm. So I said, you, got, you walked through the door and I'm grateful that you took a risk and came in here and met me and decided to do the work, whether it's for an hour or it's for a year, two years or six weeks or whatever you took a risk. And I appreciate that because I do believe I have something to offer and teach. And now, no matter what people say, I'm not ever giving up.
0: Good for keep you. Going. Yeah. keep going. And, and, uh, sounds like James Bonnie transmitted some very, very important information to you as well, taught you well, and gave you some incredible advice. Absolutely. And, and I agree with him. And I, I agree with with what you're saying, too. So really, thank you again so much. I've I've really loved talking with you. This is Lorianne Davis, actor, acting teacher or guide, as you said, published author, star of stage and screen. Um, thank you again for being on with me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It was my pleasure. And we have we have more to discuss, at, at, <laughs> you know, at another point uh, not just my, my daughter's aspirations to be an actor, but mine too. And, uh, and many other Mm -hmm. things. So (laughs) like that. Yeah. Maybe I'll get my start doing an Oreo commercial. Who knows? Um,
1: (laughs) you never know. It's always beginning. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again.
1: Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.
0: Okay, ciao. This episode was produced and edited by yours truly. Thank you to my guest, Lorianne Davis. She's awesome. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week.